end of 2017, can I get the thing on? Is it? I'm not sure if it's on. <laughs> yep, cool. At the end of 2017, Andrew Yang announced that he would be running for the US presidency in 2020. Now, unfortunately, we know how that turned out. But uh, at that time, apart from being an Asian American, there was one other thing that made him really stand out amongst the other candidates. Uh, UBI, have you heard of that before? Universal Basic Income. Uh, the idea was every single month, a thousand US dollars would be deposited into uh, the bank account of every US citizen over 18, right? No questions asked, no conditions. This would be uh, enough to cover all the basic living costs for all Americans. Uh, and Yang argues that as much as this would cost, some say up to $3 trillion each year, as much as this would cost, Yang says that the benefit to the US economy would far outweigh that cost. In his campaign, he said this would solve the problem of poverty. Now, I'm not going to go into the uh, nitty-gritty of the economic details here because I really have no idea about these maths or, or how, how this all works. But as Americans discussed and argued, debated this radical concept, there was just one simple issue that people were able to agree on. It was a moral issue, actually. See, if everyone gets this money, well, doesn't that promote laziness? What's going to motivate people to find a job or to, to keep working at their job if you give people upfront what they need, free of charge? Why would people want to be productive then? And this is exactly the same sort of question that Paul, here in our chapter, is anticipating in Romans chapter 6. In the presence of grace, what is the motivation to do good, right? Remember what we've been talking about all the way up to this point. If God has freely given us righteousness, uh, next slide please. If God has freely given us righteousness through Jesus, Romans 3, if we are forgiven, next slide please, and we inherit eternal life simply by faith, right? Simply by trusting what Jesus has already done. If our works do not contribute one bit to being righteous with God, if we now live with perfect peace with God, chapter 5, if we are now part of a new humanity marked by life and righteousness, not sin anymore because of one man, Jesus, as we heard last week. If this is all true, all this upfront, free of charge is ours, then doesn't that encourage sin? What incentive is there to obey God? Why not just keep living under the old way, like in chapters 1 and 2 of Romans? We already have forgiveness, we already have eternal life, we already have hope. Why bother doing the hard thing? Why bother struggling with sin? Well, today Paul gives us the reasons why. And the first reason is this. As we have been united with Christ, we have died to sin. And to introduce the question, Paul asked, given that all that we've seen in chapters 1 to 5, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grey may increase? Paul's answer is an emphatic no. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any, any longer? No way. Not a chance. Not in a million years. Don't even think about it. 
Why? Because Paul says that we, and remember he's addressing Christians at this point, we have already died to sin. And here it's crucial to understand what Paul is saying here, because he's saying, he's not saying that we have died to sins, plural, right? But we have died to sin, sin with a capital S, as some like to say. Because even though sins are still present in our lives as Christians, right, we all still struggle to do what we already know is right. I still stumble day by day in my selfishness, in my materialism, and so on. Sin's presence is still part of our lives, but the power of sin has been broken. The ruling grip of sin has been overcome in Jesus. That's why we keep seeing this language of rule and and dominion in this verse. Right? Verse 6, our old body ruled by sin is done away with. We are no longer slaves to sin. Verse 7, we've been set free from sin. Verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, and so on. Paul is talking about a life that is characterized by sin, ruled by sin, a life that is completely obedient, always following the master of sin. And so why can't we live in sin anymore? Well, Paul tells the Roman church to look back on your past. More specifically, their their baptism, verses 3 to 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Right? Baptism. Think about your baptism, because baptism is somehow how we share in Jesus' death, but also his life. Now, at this point, we need to note that baptism here isn't just talking about some ritual that we hold uh, once or twice at church every year, right? Because if you look back at the New Testament, baptism is actually symbolic of the entire conversion process. Just think about the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's walking along in his carriage, Philip finds him and he explains the gospel to him, the good news. He understands and believes. And what happens straight away? The Ethiopian eunuch goes, hey, look, a puddle. Why don't I get baptized right now? Right? In the New Testament, following Jesus and getting baptized goes hand in hand. It it happens right away. And that's what we need to get about this, uh, what, what Paul is talking about here in this passage. Because Paul isn't saying that this being united with Jesus, this burying and resurrection with Jesus only happens when you're physically dunked in water, but it's when someone believes in Jesus and truly puts their trust in Jesus and follows Jesus. And so back to Paul's point here. Paul is saying, when you were baptized, when you put your trust in Jesus, you were joined to Jesus, and so you were buried with Jesus. What has happened with Jesus has happened with you too. It's as if at that point our destinies, so to speak, were bound together. And we've seen that already, haven't we? At the cross, Jesus took our sins, our punishment that we deserve. Jesus took that upon himself as all of God's wrath was poured out onto Jesus on the cross. At the cross, that righteous verdict, that perfection, the perfect life that Jesus lived, of being declared not guilty, that verdict was transferred to us. But see, Paul doesn't want us just to think that we get some sort of legal status update, right? 
to be recipients of some clinical transaction. You know, I give Jesus this, Jesus gives me that, and boom, that's it. And that's fantastic, right? But it's far greater than that. Our whole being is bound to Jesus now. So much so that Jesus dying on the cross, there is a sense in which Jesus took us with him and we died with Jesus on the cross. As Jesus was buried in the tomb, a part of our old selves, our sinful selves, was also buried, locked behind that tomb door. We have died to our old way of living, living under Adam, as Peter told us last week, living under the power and the reign of sin. But it's even better than that. Not only have we died with Christ, but we also share in Christ's resurrection, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Remember, where Christ goes, we go too. Where Christ has already gone, we know we will one day follow. And yes, there will be a day when we finally will see that complete fulfillment of being united with Christ, right? Being raised to new life with imperishable bodies, living perfectly for the glory of God, not only free from the power of sin, but free from the presence of sin. It affects all its effects and all its, all of its curse. And so Paul is saying that right now, that process has already begun in us. We are getting a taste right now of that resurrected life. Yes, sin still remains, but the power of sin has been defeated. It's dead now. Sin is no longer in control. Sin is no longer the driving force in everything that we do. But as we keep living, as we keep keep growing, we are experiencing the slow but steady retreat of sin in our lives. This is our reality now. Do we get that? This is our reality. And if that's the case, then it makes sense that we have to live according to that reality, right? This is my cat. Uh, my friends back in Sydney always made fun of the name that we gave him. His name is Mao Mao. Uh, or as on the, in English form, it's Meow Meow on, on the whatever certificate that we, we, we sign when we take him to the vet. But, you know, as much as we all loved Mao Mao, my family in Sydney doesn't feed him anymore. They don't leave food out for him anymore. Um, if he doesn't come home by bedtime, they don't take him to the vets for his annual vaccination. They don't go looking for him even if he doesn't show up for a few days. Because Meow Meow has been dead for 10 years. Now, my family have two other cats that they look after. All the obligations, all the acts of service for Meow Meow cease when he died. It would be ridiculous to keep leaving food for this cat or, or to book in uh, appointments for the vet for him, right? It would be ridiculous to neglect the two living cats in order to look, for the de- look after the dead one. My family considers Meow Meow dead because he is dead. And so too with the life of sin we used to live. It's dead to us now. Do we get that? Your old self under the power of sin, that was nailed to the cross with Christ. That way of living was buried with Christ. It's dead. So in verse 11, just as Christ died to sin but rose to new life, we should in the same way. Next slide, please. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Know your reality. Know your reality and live in that reality. So what's the answer to the question, should we keep on sinning? No! It's incompatible with our reality. Can't you see that you share a new life with Christ now? That you've been transferred from death to life. So live that way. But now Paul preempts another objection people might have to grace. Verse 15. What then shall we say? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Right? Now that we live under grace, now that the law of Moses is no longer sitting above us, ruling over us, demanding us with all these things, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? Well, again, Paul's answer is, by no means. And the reason for that is that we all serve something. We all serve something. Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin that leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? This might sound a bit odd to us today, isn't it? Because in our society, what many think of as being right up there as the highest ideal, the highest form of living, what it means to be truly human and to truly flourish, it's autonomy, isn't it? To be able to do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like. You're free to choose your own identity. So movie after movie tells us that the hero needs to break free from traditions of the past to find their true selves, to listen to their heart and not to oppressive tradition and authorities. The biggest evil, it seems today, is for me or anyone else to tell you what you need to do, to say that this is the right way to live or this is the wrong way to live or even that this is a better way to live. Right? We can't, tell, we can't judge other people. We value freedom, autonomy, no rules. We want to be the boss of our own lives. But here's the question. Are we truly free when we live without rules? Well, God tells us no. We're not free. We're simply serving another master. Just an example. Just think about two people who have an addiction, right? It could be addiction to alcohol, drugs, sex, or even gaming, let's say. Now, the first person acknowledges their addictive behavior, that their compulsion is destroying their lives, ruining the relationships uh, in his life or her life, and they say, no, I am going to do something about this. I'm going to see a professional to get me through this. I'm going to have boundaries and rules in my life. I'm going to chuck out all the alcohol or drugs. I'm going to get a friend to check in on me when I'm most likely to fall. But the second person says, I want to be free. I don't want rules in my life. I don't need someone or something telling me what to do when I can or I cannot do something. And so they ignore their spouse's pleas to get sober, to take responsibility at home. They want the freedom to just continue doing whatever they feel like doing. The question is, is this second person truly free? They're not, are they? They're imprisoned, they're enslaved to their compulsion an addiction to whatever it is that has taken hold of them. Because they think they have a choice, but they don't actually have a choice. They can't help but just constantly give in to their addiction every time that itch comes. But this first person, by living with boundaries, by choosing to live by the rules, by choosing not to give in to what gratifies them in that moment, they've actually been freed, haven't they? 
They're choosing what's best in their lives. They're choosing not to allow their addiction to choose for them. So brothers and sisters, can you see that our old way of living, what that really was, we were living as compulsive sinners, addicted to sin. We were slaves to sin. We didn't even realize it. But at every step, we were beckoning to the master's call, that master that kept telling us to do whatever felt best for us, to to keep sinning, to keep ignoring God. We had no choice. Now, this doesn't mean that we never did anything that was good or that we weren't capable of showing goodness and kindness before we followed Jesus. That's that's not the case, right? There are many non-Christians who are capable of doing incredible acts of goodness, incredible love and kindness to those around them, right? But what is it saying? Paul is reminding us to think about what, what sin actually is. Sin, at its core, is a rejection of God. Sin is a lifestyle that is characterized by ignoring God, not glorifying God, that doesn't put God at the center. And so even with those good things that we are capable of doing before we follow Jesus, ultimately we were just glorifying the wrong things. We still weren't living for the creator God who who made us in his image. But what has happened now? Now that we have put our trust in Christ, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Because of God's grace, he has given us a new heart, a new heart that frees us to obey. And this is just one way that we see the power of sin being removed, right? God finally gives us this new heart that allows us to say no to that oppressive master of sin. To say, no, I'm not going to listen to your call anymore. Jesus has claimed my allegiance now. I'm going to choose to follow God. We bat for the other team now. We are slaves to righteousness. Remember that. Which side do you want to be serving? Now, Paul just wants to clear up something about the imagery that he's using here, verse 19. He says he's using an example for everyday life because of our human limitations. He wants to draw out a deeper meaning here using this you know, crude analogy, so to speak. Because when we think about slavery, we think about it in negative terms. Even back then in Paul's day, even as, as common as it was back then. But Paul wants us to get that there is nothing wrong with being a slave to God. See, just look how vastly different serving God is compared to serving sin, verse 16. Sin leads to death, but obedience to God results in righteousness. Again, verse 21 to 22, death and shame on the one hand, but righteousness, holiness, eternal life on the other hand. See, when you look back on your sin, you don't see freedom and a carefree life. What do you see? Enslavement. You feel shame for what you were doing before. You want to bury that past. Someone who has been set free from from their drug or alcohol addiction, don't look back and say, oh, those were the days back then, right? I want to go back there. No, they look back in disgust. They don't want anything to do with that life anymore. That's how we need to look at our life of sin. 
Now that you're in Christ, now that God is your master, you're heading towards holiness and eternal life now. You're becoming more and more pure, just like Christ, more and more like the the person that God has always intended you to be. We're on the road that leads to eternal life. Which will you choose? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Now, there's something, again, so important to notice in this chapter. And it's something I I have to admit, I've gone over again and again. So I'm going to sound like a broken record at this point. But I just need to stress this again because it's so important. Because as we read through this thing that, that Paul is saying, it feels like Paul is placing the burden of being right with God on our own efforts, right? We need to be obedient. We need to offer ourselves to the right master and so on. But will you just notice over and over again, what Paul mentions has already happened before he tells us to do anything? We are already united in Christ's death and resurrection. We are already under grace, not law. We are already freed from sin. We are already slaves to righteousness. This isn't try your hardest to get yourself on God's side. The logic up to this point is, if you already are a Christian, then you already belong to Jesus. If you have put your trust in Jesus, then you are already right with God. You are so connected, so joined, and so tied with Christ in every way already. We need to get that again. And so, for those who haven't followed Jesus yet, please understand that God is telling you that it's not that you need to keep trying harder. It's not that you have to accrue enough good points with God so that you can be in his good book. Because there's only one way to be right with God, and that's by trusting in God's Son who has already given you his righteousness. And so can I urge you to to follow Jesus, to simply put your trust in Jesus. If you're not sure, again, if if you've been here and and you're still wondering about the cross, We'd love to talk to you. You know, come, come chat with me afterwards. Talk to Pastor Peter. Talk to anyone here at church. We'd love for you to get to know what the cross means in reality, to live it out. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, we need to live in light of who we already are, right? Live in light of the reality of having died to sin and being alive with Jesus now. We need to live that way. How do we do that? Verse 13, do not offer any part of your body, any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Paul says, well, since sin is no longer your master, then don't offer anything to that master anymore not a single part of your body if your hand is trying to reach out for something that you know you shouldn't be reaching out for it doesn't belong to you maybe it's reaching to satisfy some addiction you know is slowly eating you away maybe it's lifting your hand ready to unleash your anger physically stop don't offer any part of your body to serve sin you've been free you've been set free free from that wretched master. If you find your mind drifting off into unhelpful thoughts about someone who has a a grudge against you, maybe it's something that someone's done and said and 
you just let that marinate in your mind. You feel your anger and your disgust for them build. And you don't have any intention whatsoever to lovingly correct them. If you find your mind imagining how good life would be if you oh, might be intimate with that someone who isn't your spouse, stop! Don't offer any part of your body to sin. Don't you know that leads to death? Don't offer your ears in service to sin by silently but eagerly listening to conversations of gossip and slander behind people's back. Don't offer your eyes in service to sin by what you watch on your screens or to feed your envious heart with all the things that you think will make you fulfilled apart from God. Don't offer any part of your body to serve sin. Brothers and sisters, let's be honest with ourselves. What are you currently offering in service to sin at this moment? Let's just pause and think about that for a bit. What is something that you think, well, you know it's not right, but everyone does it anyway. It's okay. Because I want us all to hear God's words today. Do not offer any part of your body to serve sin. Because remember what Christ has done for you. That's not who we are anymore. What are you to do instead? Well, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Serve the one. Sacrifice your body to the one who has gifted you forgiveness by sending his son to die for you. Use your hands and feet to grow in good deeds, in kindness, in love, to build God's people, to serve those in need and be Christ, be Jesus to the world around us who don't know Jesus yet. Use our minds to say no to sin day by day by day. Let us train that muscle to be conformed to the mind of Jesus who perfectly obeyed his Father in heaven. Use every part of our body for God's glory, whatever will please him, whatever is in line with the new life that Jesus has already given us. Don't look back on your life, your sinful life, which God has freed you from already, but look ahead. Look ahead to the awesome hope of perfect righteousness and life waiting for you as you live for God. Paul summarizes it in this way. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again for Romans chapters 1 to 5, which lays it out so clearly what you have freely given us already unimaginable goodness, unimaginable hope. And Father, as we hold that in our minds, in our hearts, as we treasure that, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the reality of who we are now, now that we belong to Christ, now that Christ has given us a new life. Help us to get rid of sin. Help us to live according to what you have already declared us to be. And so, Father, we, we again just pray, if there's anyone here who hasn't yet followed Jesus, we ask that you would help them to stop trying to be good. 
because we can never be good enough for you. We ask that they would see what we have seen today, that being good comes after following Jesus, to accept Jesus first. Will you do that, Lord, by your Spirit? And we ask this in the Son's name. Amen.